John 1.14 says, The Word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. We have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Our prayer is that you might see God's love and faithfulness as you listen to our Sunday morning message here at First Methodist Bryan. Amen. Thank you, Jeff, for those wonderful examples of terrible t-shirts. Since Jeff brought it up, I might as well just give some of my favorite uh, fun stats for the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, The Houston Texans have won more playoff games since they've been in existence than the Dallas Cowboys have in that same stretch. Uh, And as uh, much as I loved Game 5 of the Astros the other night, I couldn't help but think at the same time, you know, this is a top three Astros win for me, but this is probably also at the same time a top three Rangers loss for them, and that just maybe elevated my joy just a bit slightly as a diehard Houston Astros fan. Well, I hope that uh, the Rangers fans in here aren't ready to storm out, but it's good to be with y'all here today on this Sunday morning. My name is Pastor Jeremy Bass. We are in the middle of our Jonah series, or I guess right at the start of our Jonah series. So if you have your Bibles and you want to open them up, we're in the book of Jonah. We are in chapter one still. And last week, as we looked at uh, starting this Jonah series, we looked at how uh, Jonah was a prophet of God and how he was living in the court of Jerusalem. He was a, a court prophet to the king of Israel. He enjoyed a place of status, a place of power. And then God comes to him and says, hey, Jonah, you are supposed to go and preach to Nineveh. And Nineveh, we talked a bit about Nineveh last week, the capital of the Assyrian Empire, which would be the equivalent of being asked to go and preach to Nazi Germany in 1944. It's not a place that anyone would willingly go to, especially a prophet of Israel. And how Jonah had this reasonable fear and how reasonable fear often prevents us from following where God is leading us to go, where God is calling us to go. And so we talked about that reasonable fear last week. And so this week we're looking at what happens when God has this call on your life or something happens in your life and you've already made the decision to run away from God. You've already made the decision to run away and you're running from the Lord. What happens after that? Did any of you run away from home growing up? Just a quick show of hands. You know, we hear stories about running away from home. Uh, My brother ran away from home when we were a kid. So I was a preacher's kid growing up, and so one of the things that you do as a preacher's kid is you sometimes move and go from church to church, especially in the United Methodist Church at the time where my dad was a pastor. And we made this one move. It was our first big move that we could remember as kids. We, we moved from Mission Bend United Methodist Church, which was in downtown Houston area, from Mission Bend United Methodist Church to Wesley Beaumont United Methodist Church, all the way out in Beaumont. A real change from city of Houston to middle of nowhere, Beaumont, Texas. No offense to those who are from Beaumont. And me and my brother, I was in fifth grade at the time. My brother was in third grade, and he hated the move. He hated it with his whole being. And he, one day he decided, you know what? 
I don't want to be here anymore. I'm going to go from Beaumont back home to Houston. He didn't have any understanding about how far we actually were from Houston. So he packed up his bag. I think he packed up like a few Pop-Tarts and a few other goldfish snacks. And he packed it in his bag and he packed a change of clothes. And he, he left the house unbeknownst to me and my mom. And he just started walking down the street just walking down the street to where he thought Houston was and it just so happened that my dad was on his way home from work and caught him halfway down the road as he was running away because he didn't want to be there anymore he didn't want to go where we had gone he didn't like being away from his friends he didn't like the new place that we were at and he just wanted things to go back to the way that they were you know sometimes we all have reasons for running whether it's like Jonah and we have a reasonable fear in our lives to run away we have a, a hurt or a heartache or we have prejudice and anger whatever reasons that we have we all have these reasons to run from things that whatever is happening in our lives and so we've made the decision to run that we sort of have this choice that often is before us and we talked about that last week of do we choose to run from the difficult things or do we choose to dive headlong into them and I think many times as humans our response is to run from things rather than to embrace the difficulties in life and so we see Jonah the prophet does the exact same thing he runs from what God is calling him to do and what happens to him after he runs we see the response of the Lord to the prophet Jonah here in scripture our scripture reading for today is Jonah 1 verses 4 through 17 hear the word of the Lord and then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea such a violent storm arose and the ship threatened to break up and all the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God and as they threw the cargo in, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship but Jonah had gone below deck where he lay and fell into a deep sleep and the captain went up to him and said how can you sleep get up call on your God maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish and then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find who is responsible for this calamity. And so they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And so they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? From what people are you? And Jonah answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And this terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. And the sea was getting rougher and rougher, and so they asked him, What should we do to make the sea calm down for us? And he said, Pick me up and throw me into the sea, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. And then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. And then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. 
Now the Lord provided Jonah a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. This is the word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. It has that little line at the end, right? Jonah and the big fish. But this is the line that, the the story that leads up to Jonah being swallowed by the fish. So here you have this prophet of God, right? The one who should have all the answers, the one who should be the most obedient, the one who should not be running away from God. You have him going from Israel to Tarshish, the exact opposite direction that Nineveh is in, and he's called to go and preach to Nineveh. Instead, he runs from God, he runs away from his calling, and he's going as far as he humanly can away from God. So he's on this ship sailing to Tarshish, and as he's sailing, the Lord causes a storm to arise. And what's interesting in this passage is you have the the pagan sailors start to entreat their God in order to see if this is some type of religious calamity that has come upon them due to the suddenness of the storm around them. And the the pagans are calling out to their gods, calling out to their deities. Meanwhile, the prophet of the living God is sound asleep in the boat while everything else is raging on around him. The irony is that you have these unbelievers, the ones who do not follow Yahweh. They're the ones who recognize the divine activity that is going on here. And the prophet of God is not even awake during the storm. He's sound asleep below deck. And then even when they wake him up and bring him up, they have to tell him, hey, you should probably pray to your God to see if this is something that can that you can stop, that your God can stop. And sometimes it seems like that in our own personal lives, where it seems like everyone else around us can see the issues going on in our lives. Everyone else can see the storm that we're in, but we're asleep at the wheel. Everyone else can see the issues that we have in our lives, but for whatever reason, we have this blind spot to our own lives that everyone else can see the things that we're oblivious to and we need someone to come and wake us up from our stupor to see the storm going on and raging around us and so there's a storm that's going on in Jonah's life literal storm going on and there's this drawing of lots which is you ever heard the phrase who drew the short straw that's essentially drawing lots that you hold like four straws and one of them short. And in those days, that would often be a sign of, a, of God choosing someone, right? They drew lots in the New Testament to see who would replace Judas. And they drew lots all the time in the Old Testament as a way to discern the will of God. And so Jonah has lots drawn and the lot falls on Jonah. In other words, Jonah is responsible for this and It's like the Lord is trying to wake Jonah up, to turn him around, that there's multiple things that God does in the story to try to get Jonah to be like, hey, Jonah, the direction that you're going is not where I have called you to go. The place that you are going is not where I want you to go. He sends the storm, and that doesn't wake him up. He has him draw lots, and even then, he's still not fully awake. It takes the sailors pointing out to him, what have you done before Jonah is finally awakened to the reality of what is happening in his life? And it takes 
these people to speak into Jonah's life before he's awoken from this. You know, one thing I found really interesting in this passage that I'd never noticed before, it says this in verse 9 and 10. After the lots have been drawn, it says that he answered the sailors, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord. I worship Yahweh, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. And this terrified them. And they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. And I thought that that last little line was interesting. That they knew that he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. I think what's really interesting in this passage that stood out to me as I was reading this is who you surround yourself with matters. Who you surround yourself with matters. That in this passage, Jonah is giving them more details about the, the type of God that he worships, that the God that he worships, Yahweh, is the God of the dry land and the sea. In those days, uh, most polytheistic cultures, they believed that their gods were sort of like regional deities, and they only had authority or power over their regional area. And when countries went to war, it wasn't just two countries that were going to war, but it was in essence two gods that were going to war against one another. It's why when you read ancient texts, they'll say like, the God of Assyria has conquered the God of Israel when Assyria conquers Israel. And so you'd have like a local Assyrian god or a local Babylonian god, and even within the pantheon of Assyrian and Babylonian gods, that there would be sort of the god of war or the god of death or the god of the land and the god of the sea. And so Jonah is telling these sailors that my god is not just some regional deity over Israel, but my God is the God of the land and the sea. In other words, my God is the higher God, the God above all, the God who knows no boundaries, the God who is sovereign over all. In other words, he went and approached these sailors and said, can you help me escape my God? Can you help me escape my regional deity where he doesn't have authority is how they interpreted it? Jonah approaches the sailors and, and they interpret it as trying to escape the regional deity. And here in this verse, they're confronted with the fact that they're not running away from a local uh, God of Israel, but they are running away from the God of the universe. And so they say, what have you done? What have you done? But I think what's interesting in this passage is Jonah told them that he was running from Yahweh. Jonah told them he was running from his God and the sailors, rather than saying, no, that's probably not a good idea to run from your God, they say, yes, we will help you run away from your God. That the sailors know that Jonah is running away from God, and they still say, yes, we will help you run from your God. So who are you surrounding yourself with? Are you surrounding yourself with people who help you run away from God or help push you closer to him, who draw you closer to him. And this doesn't mean, don't interpret it this way, this doesn't mean you can't have non-Christian friends. In fact, I think you should have non-Christian friends. But I think what this passage is about and the, what the Lord elevated to me is who are you letting speak into your life? 
Are you letting people speak into your life who are letting you uh, be pushed away from God or who are actively pushing you away from the Lord? Or are you surrounding yourself with people who push you deeper into your relationship with the Lord, who push you deeper into life with God? Are you surrounding yourself with people like the sailors here? who you approach them and say, I have this problem and I'm running away from it. And they, rather than saying, no, confront your issues, confront your problems, push deeper into them, they say, yes, let me help you run away. Are you surrounding yourself with people who encourage you to run and escape your problems rather than deal with them? Who tell you that the issues that are going on in your life are no big deal and you can just ignore them, maybe mask them with Drugs, alcohol, or pornography? Are you surrounding with people who encourage you to confront these issues that are going on in your life? You know, in addiction ministry, in addiction recovery, they talk about, uh, you know, cutting out people who enable you. In other words, cutting out the people who encourage your habit rather than pushing you away from your habit. Do you surround yourself with people who push you farther to Tarshish? who push you farther away from the will of God, who push you farther away from where God wants you, who don't challenge you, who don't push you, or do you surround yourself with people who will stand up to you when you need to be stood up to? Do you surround yourself with people who have the ability and the authority to speak into your life when you need to be spoken into your life? I think I've mentioned this before, but one of the biggest times of spiritual growth in my own personal life was when I went to college, and not just because I was in college, but the main difference between uh, my time in high school and my time in college was I was surrounded by people in my university who were actively pushing me towards Christ, not actively pushing me away from Christ, and that just makes all the difference in the world when we have people who encourage us not to run away from God, like the sailors encouraged Jonah to run away from God. Who are you surrounding yourself with? Are you surrounding yourself with believers who push us closer to the heart of God, who push us closer to Tarshish? You know, the other thing in this chapter that we see is the heart of God to the prophet, even in the midst of his disobedience and sin. The book of Jonah and really all of scripture is revealing to us the heart and character of God. And I think in Jonah in particular, you see the overwhelming compassion of God to the people that we don't think deserve our compassion. And we see here in this opening chapter of Jonah that the compassion and grace and mercy of God extends even to the prophet in his disobedience. We see that God chases after us that God chases after us. See, Jonah's running away from God, running away from his calling, running away from his people, and running away from the heart of God as well. What's interesting is what God doesn't do is he doesn't just say, all right, Jonah, good riddance, goodbye. You know, you've had your one shot. I called you to do this, and you decided to disobey me. You decided to run away from me. It's time to just get rid of you and move on to the next person. No, instead what we see is 
Jonah literally runs as far as he can from God, and God chases after him. He tries to shake him up from his stupor. He tries to get him to shake in him, to make him wake up and say, Jonah, this is not the direction of your life that I want you to go in. I mean, just imagine the opening story with my brother. My brother runs away from home and walks to Houston with nothing but a change of clothes and a box of Pop-Tarts. That if my dad had seen him running away and he pulls over and he says, Jason, are you, where are you doing? And he says, I'm running away from home. And my dad was like, oh, well, bye-bye, Jason. It's time to, uh, you can go on, you can go ahead. It's uh, toodaloo, bye-bye, Jason. That would be utterly ridiculous, right, if my dad did that. But sometimes I think we imagine God does that in our rebellion, in our disobedience, when we run away from him, we think God kind of tells us, good riddance, sayonara, bye-bye, Jason. Jonah in his rebellion, because it is sin in what Jonah is doing, he runs away from the Lord, but the Lord doesn't run away from him. God doesn't let him go. When God had every reason to be like, you know what, good riddance, I have a number of other prophets in Israel that I could just go and send to Nineveh. I have other Israelites that I could raise up to be a prophet and send them to go and speak to Nineveh. God had every chance to do that. Instead, what he does is he goes and follows Jonah. And we see the grace of God even in the middle of the story. The reason the sailors don't want to throw Jonah overboard is because what Jonah is basically saying is sacrifice me to Yahweh and that will appease everything. In other words, punish me for my sin, punish me for my disobedience and I will die. And so the sailors say, no, we're not going to kill you. We're not going to throw you overboard. Jonah had resigned himself to the punishment of his sins, which he thinks is death. And so when the storm gets so violent that the sailors have no other choice but to do what they think is killing Jonah by throwing him overboard, instead what it says at the very end of this chapter, the Lord provided, the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. But the Lord gives Jonah a second chance in the midst of his sin and disobedience and rebellion and runaway status because God wants Jonah that's another thing we'll see repeated in the book of Jonah that God's after the heart of the prophet that God wants Jonah not just for what he can do for him God can raise up anyone if he wants stuff done but God cares about the heart of the prophet and God cares about us and God cares about our hearts and we see what God is willing to do to bring the prophet back to himself we see the lengths that he is willing to do to bring Jonah back home and we see the grace of God even in the midst of his sin and rebellion by providing him a fish by bringing him back you know there's this false belief 
it's been in the church for centuries, that the God of the Old Testament is a different God than the God of the New Testament. But here I see the same heart of the Father who chases after his children that we see Jesus talk about in the New Testament that is seen here in God chasing after the heart of Jonah because our Father has a heart for the runaways. Our God has a heart for those who run from him because our God is a God who will never leave us or forsake us or abandon us. Jesus has a similar story in his Gospels about what the heart of God is like in Luke 15, verses 3 through 6. Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? When he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and go home, goes home. And then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. Put it another way, when a prophet runs away to Tarshish, does God not go to Tarshish with him? That the heart of God is the one who chases after us when we run away. The God who will follow a runaway, rebellious prophet and bring him back home, even if it means coming back home in the belly of a fish. That you who feel like you've been running from God, or you who feel like you've been living in disobedience to God, you who feel like God has forgotten you, like God has let you go, hear the word of hope from Jonah that God doesn't forget God doesn't abandon God is chasing after you he won't let you go he'll follow you wherever you go even if it means following you to the ends of the earth he will literally follow you if you are running in the opposite direction from him and he'll meet us in the pit And sometimes it takes a storm in our life to wake us up. But even in the storm, the Lord is there. His grace, his compassion, and his mercy will meet us in the places that we never thought he could meet us in. So I'd like to invite the band back up. As I was praying for a response for this service, I feel like the Lord is just inviting everyone who feels like they've been forgotten by God or who feels like they've been running from God to just come and embrace him today to hear this message that the heart of God has not abandoned you or forsaken you that God cares for you and he cherishes you and he loves you and he just wants you to come back home so if you feel like the Lord is inviting you and prickling your heart to return home from him the altar is going to be open during this closing hymn or this closing song um I'll just invite you to just come and meet with the Lord today. Uh, Lanny and Erica are going to be up here for prayer. Um, if you want to pray with someone rather than Thank just you for listening alone, they'll us. be up here to receive We prayer. hope so that you have encountered the risen Jesus today. If you want to hear more, please consider subscribing. We would also welcome you to join us in person. For more information, please visit us at fmcbryan.org.